The email provider C-Templar is shutting down. Elon Musk might buy Twitter. Google is letting you remove your personal information. It was revealed Edward Snowden helped create Zcash. So welcome to Surveillance Report 86. It's gonna be very long, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most notable events in the last week. I am Henry from TechLore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. And this week, again, we still only have two support methods, Patreon and Monero. If you want to help us out with some exclusive perks like the Q&A at the end of each of these reports, go ahead and join our Patreon. And if you want to just support us without needing the exclusive perks and without needing to supply any information, go ahead and you can donate Monero to us. Um, it's whatever your preferences, and that is the segment. All right, with that, we're gonna move into our highlight story, which is that C Templar is shutting down. You have until May 26th to export your contact list and emails. You cannot send any emails at this time, which is uh, very frustrating. I know a lot of people, that's how they found out about this. They have not cited a reason. There's two most likely reasons. One of them is probably lack of funds. I mean, C Templar was never exactly widely adopted in the privacy community. And generally speaking, most people tend to go with a free tier. So they probably just didn't have enough paying users to cover. Or alternately, a lot of people have speculated that this could be a law enforcement thing. Uh, C Templar has said before that they would rather shut down than like put a back door in or hand over user data. And someone on Reddit speculated or mentioned that apparently one of the Lapsus members said they use C Templar in the Lapsus Telegram channel. So that is also a possible reason. But truthfully, we don't know. We're just speculating. But what we do know is if you're a C Templar user, you've got until May 26th. Keep an eye on their website. They will be announcing how to export emails and contacts. Guess it's time to move on to something else. This is a takeaway. When you join an email provider, let's say you join C Templar and your email provider is henry at ctemplar.com, your email provider is now pretty much completely dependent on whether or not you even want to stay with this provider in the future or if the provider decides to shut down. So we really, really recommend everyone listening to this either uses something like simple login, because with simple login, you can register for all of your providers with alias, like all the different accounts you have with aliases, and you can just change the behind the scenes email provider. So if C Templar shut down, but all of your accounts use simple login aliases, you just change your simple login account address to something else and nothing will have to be changed. Alternatively, or you can combine the two ideas, you can just have your own web domain that you transfer to different email providers. Like with ProtonMail, Gmail, Tudanota, you can use your own domain. So if you have henry.com, you can use henry.com with any of these email providers. You don't have to use at ctemplar.com. So those are kind of like the two big takeaways for stories like these to like make sure that you actually own your stuff with your email providers so that this stuff doesn't affect you. Fun fact, that's actually what my blog was about today. There you go. Check out Nathan's blog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I looked at the C Templar incident and I was like, hey, let's talk about why you need to have your own domain and stuff like that. Now we're going to move over to the data breaches. There was a data breach at the U.S. healthcare provider AR Care, which impacted 345,000 individuals. This took place on February 24th, and it includes names, social security numbers, driver's licenses, state ID numbers, date of births, financial account information, medical treatment information, prescription info, diagnosis or condition information, and health insurance information. There you go. People who don't care about privacy, but care about your private health information. There's another one for the books. Our next story comes from a French hospital uh, called GHT Core Grand EST. I, I don't know what any of this stuff is. I'm sorry, I don't speak any French. They are located in Northeast France. They have nine locations, 6,000 employees, and about 3,370 beds. That's an awfully specific about. So this occurred on April 19th, and the attackers copied, quote, administrative computer data. But the article did not elaborate on what that data was or how many people were affected. More health data. 
out there. That's the big thing right now, man. Health data is really valuable. Coca-Cola is investigating a hacker's claim of a breach and data theft. They claim that 161 gigabytes of data was stolen by the Stormus gang, and the going price is 1.65 Bitcoin, which is about $64,000 at the time of writing this. Allegedly, it contains admin files, emails, passwords, account information, and payment zip archives, and more. Our next story is actually research. The number of publicly exposed database instances hit a new record. So in 2021, there were 308,000 known exposed databases, which steadily grew quarter after quarter. For the record, this is not all at once. This was over the whole year. There were 308,000 exposed databases. The peak at one time was 91,200. And that was actually in 2022, so probably first quarter of 2022. It takes an average of 170 days to realize the problem and fix it, which is kind of astounding. So yeah, just a reminder that uh, there's a lot of leaky data out there. That's what we're getting at with sharing that story. And our last data breach of the week, new Black Basta ransomware springs into action with a dozen breaches. So I'm gonna quote this, a new ransomware gang known as Black Basta has quickly catapulted into operation this month, breaching at least 12 companies in just a few weeks. Uh, Nate had a takeaway he wanted to share here. Yeah, so my main takeaway here, um, they said 12 data, breach data breaches this week, and we only covered like, what, three or four? I just wanted to point out that every week, there's a lot more things that don't hit our news feed. This is why it's so imperative that we're always talking about taking this stuff seriously. Like last week when there were no data breaches, and I was like, there probably were because the internet was up. I wasn't just making a joke. I was being dead serious. Like this stuff is happening all the time. So yeah, we're, we're only giving you guys a fraction of what's going on out there. Be sure to take this stuff seriously. All right, with that, we will move into the company section. And we're gonna start off with the big story that everyone's talking about in the mainstream media, which is Elon Musk buying Twitter. Elon Musk, the billionaire founder of PayPal, SpaceX, Tesla, and more, bought Twitter this week for about $44 billion. Because when you're the richest man in the world, you know, the money's burning a hole in your pocket. You gotta do something with it. Just, um, just to come in, you keep saying bought, but it's not actually finalized yet. Uh, yeah, for the record, he hasn't technically bought Twitter. Uh, he put forth an offer. Twitter has accepted the offer. This has to go through a bunch of legal and regulatory steps where the U.S. has to make sure that this doesn't count as monopoly and that there's, you know, not any other legal issues with it. So technically... In a week, we could find out, like, no, this violates laws and Elon Musk can't buy it. He's put it on the counter and handed over his card, but the payment hasn't gone through yet. Let's put it that way. With that said, uh, a lot of what we're about to say is speculation. Um, in addition to the fact that this payment may not go through, I'm not trying to offend any of the Elon Musk fanboys, but he's kind of an unpredictable dude. He changes his mind a lot. Uh, he says things just to say them and drum up hype and interest. So a lot of this stuff may be stuff he actually wants to do. Some of it may just be ideas he's tossing around that he ends up not implementing. So some of the stuff that he's talked about, including uh, open sourcing the algorithms, addressing spam bots, authenticating all humans, which uh, he hasn't uh, expanded at all on what that means. He has also suggested making Twitter DMs end-to-end -end encrypted, which would be nice. The reason that this whole Twitter buyout relates to privacy, I think Evan Greer from Fight for the Future said it very well. Musk will soon be able to control all Twitter user data, including IP addresses and content of DMs. Musk is now literally the king of Twitter. There's nothing stopping him from accessing your messages and handing them over to a government, perhaps one in a country where Tesla is trying to do business. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it as far as Twitter goes. And then just because of this Twitter buyout, there was a lot of Mastodon news as well. Mastodon, which is like a... Similar to Twitter, it's a microblogging platform, de decentralized and federated. They saw a surge of 41,000 active users, which was a mixture of both new and old accounts. This includes 28,000 brand new accounts, 
Side note, surveillance port, tech lore, and the new oil are all on Mastodon, if you're one of those people who's jumping ship. Additionally, the EU joined and set up their own server. I see a lot of people trolling them. I personally wouldn't do that because they might just pack up shop and go back and now you can't interact with them. Like, I don't understand what's the point in pissing off your politicians. They're just gonna stop listening to you. And personally, I wish they'd listen to me more. Like I said, I, I think this story is really getting a lot of news just because Musk is such a celebrity. He's such a controversial figure. He's very polarizing. And uh, like I said, he's also very unpredictable. So some of this stuff may pan out. Some of this stuff may not. And maybe none of it will matter because the FTC will say no deal. So we'll keep you guys updated if anything privacy related comes up and like the rest of you guys, we are waiting to see what's gonna happen for sure. All right, moving over to Google. Google has added a new option for removing your personally identifiable information from their search. For many years, people have been able to request the removal of sensitive information from their search, like in cases of doxing or bank account or credit card numbers, it could be used for fraud. But under this expansion, people can now request removals of additional information, including personal contact information like a phone number, email address, or physical address. The policy allows for the removal of additional information that may pose a risk for identity theft, such as uh, confidential login credentials when it appears in search results. Um, when they receive removal requests, they will evaluate all content on the web page to ensure that they're limiting the availability of other information that's broadly useful, like in news articles. They'll also evaluate if the content appears as part of the public record on the sites of government or official sources. So yes, I think this is overall a good thing. I, I don't expect this to fix everyone's problems. It's obviously, like they said, not going to remove it from the actual site, but I think it's only a good thing that they're doing this and moving things in the right direction. All right, our next story also comes from Google, where the Play Store now forces apps to disclose what data is collected. Google is rolling out a new data safety section on the Play Store where developers must declare what data their software collects from the users of their apps. Not only will the developers declare what data they collect, but also what data they share with third parties, essentially disclosing the purpose behind the collection. So this is very, very similar to Apple's uh, privacy labels that they rolled out in the App Store. And I think that's really cool personally. Obviously those we have seen are not perfect, but I think they've been massively helpful and I'm excited to see a similar tool come to the Android audience. This will be slowly rolling out over the next few weeks. So if you're an Android user and you don't see it right away, don't panic, it will be coming. And the deadline for developers is July 20th, which interestingly is actually more strict than Apple's deadline because when Apple rolled this out, they basically just said, next time you update, you have to add this. Whereas Google is saying like, no, there's an actual deadline. And I think that's kind of cool. Up next, really quick story. You can now install the first beta of Android 13 on your Pixel device. Pixel 4 is the oldest supported device. The biggest announcement that's privacy related is optional push notifications as well as app specific permissions. It also includes a preview of the privacy sandbox. We've mentioned before that this is essentially just the topics thing. Um, which is not good. It sounds good because it's called Privacy Sandbox, but this is actually the whole thing that they were trying to push, um, which is Topics, which beforehand was, um, I'm blanking on the name, what was the name again? Uh, Flock. Flock, there it is. It's, it's really just Flock at the end of the day. So this is not good. We don't want this. <laughs> Facebook doesn't know what it does with your data or where it goes, according to leaked documents. I think the whole article can be summed up in this one paragraph. Um, this is a quote from Facebook. We do not have an adequate level of control and explainability over how our systems use data, and thus we can't confidently make controlled policy changes or external commitments such as we will not use X data for Y purpose. And yet this is exactly what regulators expect us to do, increasing our risk of mistakes and misrepresentation. Facebook, of course, denies that this is true. And that's kind of the, the lens that the article takes is like Facebook is gonna have a really hard time complying with privacy regulation because they don't silo their data. They just kind of let everyone use anything they want for any purpose, which I think we've mentioned before that um, allegedly Facebook does not does not apply privileges. Like anyone from any department can look at whatever they want. This seems to uh, drive home that point. Yeah, you know what? We'll just leave it at that. This next story, I am 
very much not a fan of, and it's very creepy to me, especially being a student. So some context, because this might be a little surreal to people in other countries, but here in the US, college is no, not free. It's actually very expensive, and a lot of the process for getting help with paying for college is done through the federal government via something called FAFSA. They dictate whether or not you get funds to help go to school. The markup found that Facebook trackers embedded in the code for the FAFSA application send data back to Facebook. It has been removed since this has come out, but only partially. Beforehand, it allowed Facebook to capture names, email addresses, phone numbers, and zip codes, which they could use to hold for years and use for undisclosed purposes on these people. In most cases, no one was really aware of this. FAFSA, of course, claimed this was an error, like it's an error to somehow accidentally include a Facebook tracker on your site, and while this is possible, We've covered in previous stories how many people are actually unaware of like the actual analytics tools they use. So it's possible they just wanted some analytics tools and this just happened to be comboed with it, which is a very common issue. Um, but the markup claims that this tracker was detected before the recent changes FAFSA blamed it on. The markup's Blacklight project found that 30% of the 100,000 most popular websites have a specific Facebook tracking pixel, while Facebook admits millions more exist across the web. It's just not a great story. You know, students are constantly victim of this crap and it's kind of frustrating. Um, as a student having to like always pay attention to this and try to educate the people around me on it because it feels like students have like some of the worst things to go through as privacy people, which is like the last thing they need. It's so predatory. Like what else are you going to do? Like you're just not going to apply for student aid. Like not everybody has that option, bro. All right. Our next story comes from Microsoft. Microsoft is testing an integrated VPN secure network in Edge powered by Cloudflare. But that title really says it all. That's pretty much the whole story. Microsoft claims that the specifically the diagnostic and support data are deleted every 25 hours. Didn't comment on any other data. It has at the moment, it has a one gigabyte monthly limit and requires you to sign into your Microsoft account to use it. They may up that limit in the future, or they may create a subscription model. Um, again, this is just in testing, so we don't even know. We talk about it every week, man. There's so many better VPN options, so don't waste your time with this. And plus, it only works in the browser. Just don't waste your time. Next up, AI could monitor drivers more closely for danger. Toyota's developing a system called Guardian that uses a dashboard camera to check to see if a driver falls asleep. It starts by recognizing the lack of their awareness, and it could take control of the vehicle, which ultimately reaches a point where given an alert driver, the system no longer operates the vehicle itself. Currently, most car AI systems have autonomous features to assist drivers and make the driving experience safer and more convenient. Example of these include lane keep assist, emergency braking, traffic jam assist, highway driving assist, um, pretty much anything else Tesla uses on their cars. And while these probably have a lot of good potential and they're probably good for safety, we're normally criticizing the lack of oversight over this and kind of the other concerns regarding privacy and how this technology might be used for um, the bad side as well, which we uh, like to encourage people do. Think about the bad aspects of technology before we start implementing them. The US Senate has introduced the SAFE Act, so this is no longer a nice to have feature and is rapidly, rapidly becoming a almost a requirement in the automotive industry. All right, and our last company stories, real quick one. The headline says, you need to update iOS, Android, and Chrome right now. Obviously, we don't encourage you to use Chrome, but Chromium-based browsers like Brave, for example, if you use those, if you use iOS, if you use Android, pretty much everything had some major security fixes this week. So as always, turn on automatic updates and it couldn't hurt to go ahead and check and see if you got some new updates ready to install. All right, now we're gonna move over to research. First one, ransom payment is roughly 15% of the total cost of ransomware attacks. So researchers are analyzing the collateral consequences of a ransomware attack, including costs that are roughly seven times higher than the ransom demanded by the threat actors. 
This includes the financial burden imposed by the incident response effort, system restoration, legal fees, monitoring costs, and the overall impact of business disruption. This drives home what I've always said in the past and how it's not just about the ransom and getting the ransom paid. Not only are there so many other effects on the company like this, this research talks about, but also um, it takes a long time to get systems fully up and running again. It's not just, oh, they're hit by a ransomware attack. That sucks. They have to pay five Bitcoin. It's like, no, this is going to impact them for months and it's probably going to impact the customers for months as well. There's so many other effects that um, are going to show themselves in different ways in every individual breach. And our, we only have two research stories this week. Our other story is a study about how Amazon uses Echo smart speaker conversations to target ads. I'm going to quote the article. Amazon and third-party services have been using smart speaker interaction data for ad targeting in violation of privacy commitments, according to researchers at four U.S. universities. I'm going to go ahead and wait for everyone to get over their surprise and shock. Academics at the universities of Washington, California Davis, California Irvine, and Northeastern University claim that Amazon processes voice data to infer user interest and uses it to serve targeted ads on platform as well as off-platform, so both on the Echo and on the web. And if I understood the article correctly, it seems that this extends to third-party skills as well. But I think they're kind of like apps. They're like third-party programs that you can install that add additional functionality and integration to the Echo. It's always nice when this kind of research comes out and we can point to it and say, here's proof that your privacy is being violated against the company's own word. And with that, we're going to move into politics. We're going to start off with a story that uh, just came out the other day, I think. It says, FBI search data of millions of Americans without warrants. Once again, I will wait for everybody to get over their shock. The article says the FBI searched emails, texts, and other electronic communications of as many as 3.4 million U.S. residents without a warrant over a year. This took place between December 2020 and November 2021, and the FBI was looking for, quote, signs of threats and terrorists within electronic data legally collected under FISA. It's looking for signs of threats and terrorists. So they, they didn't even know what they were looking for. They didn't have, like, a valid threat that they were like, okay, we think there's something going on. We're going to look to see who's involved. They're just cruising around like, no, let's see if anything's up. That would be like, to me, that feels a lot like if the cops just walked into my house and were like, yeah, we just want to find something illegal, which anyone who studied a even a little bit of law knows if you're looking for something wrong, you're probably going to find it not okay at all. Up next, a new bill would limit employer spying. So bills in New York, Connecticut, and Delaware would require employers to tell employees when they're using electronic monitoring. Going further, the Workplace Technology Accountability Act in California comes with additional requirements. Employers must tell workers when, how, and why they're being monitored and how their data will be used. Workers can view and correct data. Employers can't monitor workers off-duty, on personal devices, or in private areas, like bathrooms, locker rooms, and cafeterias, and no tech that monitors facial recognition, gait, or emotions. Employers also wouldn't be allowed to use algorithms to make decisions about who should be punished or fired and must complete impact assessments on how monitoring affects employees. You know what? I say this all the time and I, I, I stand by it. I'm always happy to be in California when it comes to the privacy fight. Just going to leave that out there. Like we, we have really, we're always moving in the good direction on the privacy battle. Still not enough, but better than a lot of other states. But also shout out to New York, Connecticut, and Delaware for this one. You're going to really be glad you're in California with this next story. So Houston passes an ordinance forcing businesses to install cameras and provide warrantless access to recordings. So this comes from TechDirt. Um, I just want to be upfront. TechDirt makes absolutely no effort to uh, hide their editorial bias. This article is just dripping with sarcasm, as is every article they do, uh, which I mean, I guess is fine. They do some really good reporting. I just want to let you guys know, like, don't go into this expecting to read a very neutral, impartial article. But I'm going to quote some of the less sarcastic bits. Officials in Houston, Texas have voted to require an array 
array of businesses, including bars, convenience stores, and strip clubs, to install surveillance cameras and make footage of them readily available to police. To access the cameras, police officers will not need a warrant. The city is citing this requirement as a result of rising crime rates. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's not impartially worded, but it's still worth a read. It's a beautiful read. Up next, a court declares unconstitutional the mobile telephone registry that obliged users to hand over the personal data to the state. Uh, this is from Mexico. Uh, the Supreme Court of Justice of the Nation declared invalid the reform to create the National Registry of Mobile Telephone Users that obliged people to deliver, among other things, their biometric data, considering that it affects the human right to privacy, intimacy, and protection of personal data. According to this, they would have collected the following data on mandatory basis, the telephone line holder, cell phone number, date and time of line activation, nationality of the user, photo ID, biometric data, home address, telecommunications data, and the line contracting scheme, like if it's prepaid or postpaid, AKA pretty much everything they, they could reasonably get on you. In the exposition of the project that resolved the challenges, uh, Minister Norma Lucia Pina Hernandez, I know how to say Pina, but that's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going by, stated um, that this has an intense impact on human rights since it determines, among other things, that the provision and processing of personal data is not optimal for individuals, but constitutes a mandatory condition if they want to have access to the use of mobile telephony. Pretty much the story, so big win there in Mexico. Our next story comes from Germany, where it says, all people with statutory health insurance affected, civil rights activists sue against disclosure of health data. And uh, for the record, the last story in this one are, we had to translate them from foreign articles, so apologies if some of the grammar is a little weird. In Germany, the Digital Data Protection Act of 2019 stipulates that as of October this year, a statutory health insurance, which I think is like public health care, will, quote, feed extensive health data of all 73 million insured persons into a database for research purposes, unquote. Data must be anonymized, but obviously people have fears of it being de-anonymized and hacked. They are calling especially for stronger security. That's the big concern because the plan, quote unquote, for anonymization is that they're just gonna remove all the names. That's really it. There, there's nothing, I mean, it's a little more complicated than that, but at the heart of it, that's all it is. They're not gonna like mix up the data and blend it. They're basically just gonna strip the names and put an ID number instead and be like, okay, here's anonymous data. This is after all the data has been submitted to a centralized place who is in charge of the process of removing the name and assigning a unique ID number. So they're gonna send all of this non-anonymous information to one location who is then basically going to swap out a name for a number and then call it anonymous. So you can understand why people are like, this is a hack waiting to happen. Also, this is gonna be de-anonymized real easy. So yeah, there's no way to opt out of it, by the way, in case you didn't know. Like this is a law, they have to turn over this data. Surprising to see that coming from Germany. They're usually pretty on point with their data laws, but this is a egregious misstep. Up next, India is to require a cybersecurity incident reporting within six hours. So the Indian government has issued new directives requiring organizations to report cybersecurity incidents within six hours, even if those incidents are port or vulnerability scans or of computer systems. Now, where things go a little downhill, this seems like a great story, but it actually doesn't have the best ending. The new guidelines also include a new section on VPS, virtual private servers, and VPN, virtual private network service providers, who will now be obliged to maintain a record of their users. Um, the data acquisition period stretches for five years after the cancellation or withdrawal of the user registration, or even longer if future regulations mandate to do that. This includes IPs used, email addresses, IP addresses, timestamps, and ownership patterns of the subscribers. So pretty much everything you don't want your VPN to know. And crypto asset service providers, also including exchanges and wallet management services, will have to retain customer data for five years. Not good. So before we get questions about should I get 
this random VPN that's based out of India, maybe maybe that should um, send some hints your way. Our next story comes from Nigeria, who has blocked 73 million mobile phones in a security clampdown. That's about a third of the country who has had their SIM cards shut off this week because they did not register in a national digital identity database. In some cases, those who haven't registered haven't been able to get to a center to register or didn't have a national ID number to register with. I think we actually covered this story because that second one rings a bell. Or like when the story was initially announced like a year ago, I think we covered that because that last part rings a bell about um, people not even having ID numbers to register their phones with. The woman that the story focuses on, she has resorted to WhatsApp. And then uh, the reason that they've done this, according to the article, quote, officials have said the policy is needed to bolster security and identify criminals as the government battles insurgents and armed bandits who have kidnapped hundreds of people for ransom, unquote. Which um, I, I guess is fair. I do actually hear a fair number of stories about that on my news outlets, but I don't know if this is the best way to go about fighting that. There's probably better ways. Our final political thing for the week, it's not really a story, but one of the readers sent us a really cool overview of CCPA. It's a legal article, it's very thorough, and it dives into CCPA and the effects that it's had the last several years. It's very, a very good read, and it doesn't just apply to Californians, because um, one thing that's really talked about is how it actually has had drastic impacts on all of the U.S. So if you're in the U.S. and you want to see how privacy regulation can actually make a real impact, go ahead and check out the article. With that, we will move into the free and open source FOSS section. We're going to start off with Ubuntu 22.04 long-term support has been released. It is now available, featuring significant leaps forward in cloud confidentiality computing, real-time kernel for industrial applications, and enterprise active directory. PCI DSS, HIPAA, FIPS, and FedRAMP compliance. I know Pop! OS upgraded their version now that the Ubuntu one is out and they're based on Ubuntu. And uh, I think their new version actually, they said now comes with uh, automatic updates. Yeah, and so on a similar note, um, one of the things that was introduced in Ubuntu was the requirement for OpenSSL 3.0 uh, for just a higher security standard. Um, and also Ubuntu in their, in their documentation now states that certificates using SHA-1 or MD5 as hash algorithms are now invalid under the default security level. So a reader sent this over. I have not validated the story, but um, it seems very trustworthy, but I still encourage people to verify this. IPVanish is a VPN. Their open VPN configuration files no longer work on Ubuntu because supposedly they're using SHA-1 and MD5 hash algorithms for their open VPN connections, which if this is true is really bad. Um, the reader contacted IPVanish support and told them to disable the certificate verification which is even worse. Doctor, my arm is broken. Well, have you tried not looking at your arm? Yeah, have you tried just cutting it off? Like that <laughs> might help. Have you tried to stop using that arm? Just use your <laughs> other arm, you got two of them. <laughs> yeah, so again, um, I don't wanna be too critical of IPVanish because I have not verified this myself, but it seems like a very trustworthy story and everything checks out based on the information that was given, but I still recommend readers who this might impact, go ahead and check it out. The real takeaway here though, in my opinion, is there's so many great open source VPNs nowadays and it's getting harder and harder to justify using some of these other services. So always remember that when you're trusting your VPN provider, you're also trusting them with implementing proper privacy and security practices. And we're starting to see, even last week, we covered Atlas VPN, Viper VPN, 
and um, Surfshark who had their own security issues. And so like, it's really important to remember you're trusting an extra service here. With that, we have an update for Firefox for Android. They have added HTTPS only mode in versions 100 and higher, and it is automatically enabled. Yeah, sites without HTTPS will show a warning just like on the desktop version. So that is a net win for everyone. Good job. Up next, uh, Molvad did a small little PSA that they're adding Monero support soon. It's being worked on. They posted a screenshot of their API. There's no release date, but it's really cool that Mulvad's probably gonna be supporting Monero. All right, with that, we will move into the Misfits section. And we're gonna start off with another one of our big stories, which is Edward Snowden helped co-found Zcash, a privacy coin. When it launched, there was this uh, famous ceremony where the creators basically live streamed the initial launch so that they could instill trust in the project. People could see everyone in the room and know that it was properly executed. I think they like even, it, it was like a three day process and they like built the computer assembled it in the room and everything. It was actually kind of cool. But one of the people in the ceremony went by a pseudonym and he like remoted in. He was basically just uh, there to act as another member and didn't actually do anything hands-on. And for a long time, nobody knew who that person was. And now according to a new video from Zcash, it was Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden says, I was never paid and had no stake. It was just a public interest thing. That is the story. And Henry is going to give us any, uh, what this means for privacy. The main thing, um, a, a lot of people are upset about this. Um, some people aren't. Um, pretty much the idea here is that Snowden has always been a big proponent of Zcash over other projects, and he doesn't really talk much about other privacy coins. So he's really exclusively only talked about Zcash for a long time. And that's really it. We have our own opinions on this story that I'm sure you can find if you dig deep enough because we talked about it on different platforms. Um, but again, this is surveillance support, so make up your own minds on the story, and that's the story. All right, and so our last story this week comes from, this is an update to a story we covered, I think about a month ago. And the headline says, tech giants duped into giving up data used to sexually extort minors. So we talked about how criminals are using fake emergency police requests. Uh, you know, the, this is a real thing. Police will come to companies and say, hey, we think somebody's life is imminently in danger, like they've been kidnapped or something and we need all their data, we don't have a warrant, but time is of the essence. And because that puts the tech companies in a rock and a hard place, either they give it up right away and risk giving it up to someone who's not authorized, or they validate the request, in which case police could lose valuable time. No doubt, in addition to other uses, the data is now apparently being used to quote, harass and even sexually extort minors. The fraudulently obtained data has been used to target specific women and minors, and in some cases to pressure them into creating and sharing sexually explicit material and to retaliate against them if they refuse, according to six people. Another quote, the tactic is impossible for victims to protect against as the best way to avoid it would be not to have an account on the targeted services, according to the victims, unquote. I think that's victims. They said people, but I think they're talking about the victims. I got people in my matrix room that are constantly posting like, man, I just deleted my Google account today. And that's awesome. Good for you. I'm really happy. Henry and I need a Google account to post surveillance report and post videos and things like that. So it's like, that's not really an option for us. And it's the same thing with Facebook. Like I've, I've shared in my own life back when I was first starting my career, I got hired at a company and the way they shared like company announcements and schedules and things like that was a Facebook group. So if I didn't have Facebook, like nowadays I have a, ro a more robust resume and I can kind of just be like, oh, that's not right for me. I'm going to go find another job. But back then I was just starting out and it's like, I had to take whatever job I could get to build my resume. It's easy to sit here and be like, well, then don't have an account, especially if it's a website like Facebook or Snapchat or Tinder or something like that. But that's not always an option for everybody. Like some people have valid reasons to have these accounts and it really sucks that that data is being weaponized against them. But yeah, seriously, it, it does really suck that these people have been put in this position and um, 
you know, through no fault of their own. Like maybe these people were using good passwords and two factor and now the data is out there because police requests. So yeah, just always, always be careful what you're putting in digital format. And also this is a good reason like on, on our, like we have a delete social media video. If you type in delete social media, like TechLar does, if you type in delete social media on YouTube, probably the first video that's like organically like the top video on YouTube that I've been able to test which I'm very happy about. Um, it's one of like my favorite videos that like we've ever worked on. And in that video, it's titled delete social media, but there's a whole section there dedicated to people who for whatever reason still have reliance on it in one way or another. And pretty much the idea is compartmentalization. And so that's always what we recommend to people when they are stuck in the situations where they have to use Facebook for school, for a, a work group or anything like that. And also for people like us, Right? Like I have a, the whole business set up that's completely separated from myself. And like, there's a lot of things I do behind the scenes in order to keep this stuff separate from me. So I don't have to have a Google account, but kind of this other thing does. Um, that's kind of the idea you should have with these kind of things. But yes, um, that's why we always have options for people. We're not trying to gatekeep people and just be like, why don't you just delete Facebook? It's like, yes, we want you to, but. Um, we're trying to be aware of those issues as well. We have another great Q&A. So it's great to see you patrons start to step up and ask your questions. We're getting more confidence from all of you. So that's awesome. First one is from John and he wants us to share more thoughts on the future of quantum computing. Nate and I actually talked a little bit before the show. Whoever's in power having an abundance of technology over what's ever publicly available is like the real problem in my opinion. Like if there is some secret quantum computer that's only being held by the NSA and no one else is using quantum computing technology to secure themselves from this, then that's a problem. Luckily, that doesn't seem to be a problem. And most re researchers seem to agree that quantum computing is something that's still very, very, very far away. Um, so personally, I still fall on like, I fall on the boat of like, it's probably going to be fine. I think there might be ways to still um, find ways to secure old data that wasn't encrypted with quantum computing. I still believe there's probably ways to do that in the future to avoid this kind of issue. Um, I think there will be solutions that arise, but this is all speculative. I'm not an expert in this space. I've read a quantum computing book that talked about like the technical details, but it didn't really talk much about like what this means for the future. So this is all speculative. And if Nate has thoughts too, he can chime in. All right, our next question comes from Aaron who says, are there any stories that we sometimes feel uncomfortable uh, covering and we don't want to cover. Yeah. But I mean, we, we try to, you know, we always talk about how we try to be like impartial on surveillance report. And that goes with the stories we cover too. You know, whenever we come across a story that's like, man, we don't want to cover this cause we don't really like this project. And we ask ourselves like, okay, but is this a really popular project in the privacy community? And is this a story that people deserve to know about? And if the answer is yes, then it's like, all right, well, we're going to cover it. Even if we think it's dumb and we don't think anybody should use it, like people use it. So we'll let people know about this thing. You know, a frequent strategy we use that ties into one of the stories today is we swap out services when we're talking about them. So in the example of Elon buying Twitter, we were like, should we cover this? Because honestly, like, does this impact privacy at all? Do we even need to cover this? And we were like, okay, if this was Google and some other rich person just announced they were going to buy out Google, would this make it into the surveillance report? So we like to swap out services sometimes to see if it's something that's relevant. Um, that's a strategy we implement a lot to try to make sure we're not just being biased. I was going to say personally, like, I think that's the closest we come to not wanting to cover a story. You know, a lot of people, as we've seen recently with the, the DuckDuckGo browser story, a lot of people seem to think that when we cover a story that counts as an endorsement. So that's kind of why we're on the fence of like, yeah, do we want to talk about this? Like, this isn't really a great project. We don't recommend it, but yeah, 
if again, if it's got wide adoption and it's an important story, then it's like, well, you know, it's news and we're here to tell people what's going on every week. So we got to good question. Yeah, it was. Um, next one's from Jason. He asked about having a private domain name. So like if he's buying a, a domain for a website, if he can do it privately, um, there's a lot of options for this. You have services um, like Najala, Jala. Um, I don't know how to say it, but it's from the, the, the creators of the Pirate Bay. They have their own hosting service. You can pay for it completely privately. And I don't know if they do this, but at least with Orange website, with Orange website, they replace the who is information with just like generic information for themselves thing. But most service providers nowadays actually have like who is protection. So if your threat model is just avoiding the public knowing what your name is, most providers have who is protection. If your threat model requires your host not knowing who you are, check out the services, at least on the Techler side of things, on techler.tech slash resources. We have a few um, service providers there that I think are Najala, however you say it, and Orange website. We use Orange website for Techler stuff, and I like it a lot. All it requires was an email, and we can use like Bitcoin for payment, so it was nice. The last one is from the patron 404 error, and they asked about RINA or RENA protocol. Personally, I don't, I've never heard of this before, this question, and I don't think Nate has either, so um, that's our answer. Just to avoid you asking this every week, we, we don't know anything about it, but we might look into it down the road. Yeah, we're not trying to like shut you up or blow you off, but no, we don't know anything about this, so we can't really comment, sorry. And if you have questions you want to ask us that you want us to possibly answer at the end of Surveillance Supports, join our Patreon. We have a Q&A every week, and after this goes live, we're going to have our next Q&A, so... Uh, it, the moment you're watching this, you can join our Patreon and ask a question right away over on Patreon for the new um, Q&A. And that was it for the news this report. Again, C Templar is shutting down. Elon Musk uh, bought Twitter. Google is letting you remove personal information. It was revealed Edward Snowden helped create Zcash and a lot more. Again, Patreon and Monero are the two ways to support us. Join Patreon if you want some perks. Join Monero if you simply just want to support our work in a private manner. We want to thank you for listening to the surveillance support. We're happy to know you're out there trying to stay safe. The final thing we want to ask you to do is to share the podcast around because that does make a difference. We rely on word of mouth. Also, make sure you're subscribed via whatever that means. If it's RSS or YouTube or Spotify, it doesn't matter. And give us a rating if you're listening from a platform where that's an option. We want privacy to reach as many of you as possible, and you can directly help us do that by doing any of the following things I just listed out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.